Welcome to Parenthood Pals. I'm Caleb Hoyer. And I'm Melissa Fight Johnson. Today, I am thrilled <laughs> to have on as our guest, my former student and, you know, current friend, Emily Haynes. <laughs> Welcome, Emily. I am thrilled to be here. Thank Hi. you. <laughs> this is so cool. I, I have to say, I believe you are for sure our youngest guest we've ever had, which is very cool. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so until we have a toddler on, no, I'm teasing. <laughs> you get to hold this honor. So um, where are you joining us from today? I'm joining you from Kansas City, Missouri. I moved here from Lawrence and it's home until tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) And I was thinking you off air, but yes, you're about to move. It's so kind of you to podcast with us before you do. Where are you going? Where are you moving? I am moving to Colorado Springs. I have a cute little apartment house out there with a roommate already and job lined up. So I'm really excited for that. Congratulations. I think that's awesome. Yeah. Another question, and this might be a good segue that we ask our guests is about their family. So like Team Haynes, um, you know, what was your family like growing up? And and now I guess you're like heading into roommate life and everything, which is very exciting. But uh, yeah, what was your family like growing up? I guess probably still your family. (laughs) Yeah. So I had a mom and a dad and I have a brother who's 18 months younger than me. So He's started college now. He's at the University of Wyoming. We grew up in the country, had lots of animals all the time. And honestly, I don't mean to brag about this, <laughs> but a lot of the episodes that I've heard, they're always talking about Camille and Zeke's backyard. My parents kind of have that like cozy patio oh, area. Man, It's my favorite place at their house. It just feels like home. So I'm really lucky to have been growing up in the country area. So thankful for that. But yeah, it was always outside doing stuff. So nice. That sounds wonderful. Well, and man, you're good at segues because you just mentioned characters. So (laughs) the last question we ask our guests, uh, just to sort of introduce them, is what is your history with the show Parenthood? I, when Parenthood came out, I was definitely not the target audience. So I actually (laughs) started watching Parenthood after I finished the Gilmore Girls and wanted to find characters from there. So obviously Lauren Graham, I'm a huge fan of her. She's just super great acting. And I um, stumbled across that on Netflix, started watching it probably two years ago and just rewatched it. It's kind of a comfort show at this point. So yeah. I definitely hear all of that. Yeah, Gilmore Girls, one of my all-time favorites. I think we might've known that about each other when I was your teacher. I think I might've known. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's cool. So Melissa, what is your being friends with students policy. I mean, I know, but (laughs) I think it might be an interesting issue to plumb. Well, I have a Facebook policy, which seems a little obsolete now that hardly any teenager is on Facebook. But back when I started, my policy was always that I would be Facebook friends with them after they graduated. Just seemed like a nice natural boundary. And in that case, it would be only if they requested you, I'm assuming. You weren't like, everyone's graduated. (laughs) Add, 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 add. (laughs) Usually. (laughs) Although I guess everyone, so I think I have friend requested some people, but only if I felt like we were pretty tight and I'd be like, yeah. Or I'd be like, they'll be happy to see this and not, they'll feel strange about this, you know? <laughs> but then like just regular friend stuff, like often when students graduate, if I really like feel like a bond, I might be like, let's go get coffee sometime. And sometimes that happens. And so I don't know. It's uh, yeah, it's just nice to kind of keep in touch with 
people because it's a it's a cool, unique relationship, teacher student. And it's nice when that doesn't just die <laughs> because they've graduated. Yeah. And not only that, I think English teachers have an advantage as well because I've basically poured my heart out on paper in some cases. And it's like, okay, you know this much about me. So, you know, friends. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> totally true. Yeah. I wonder if math teachers feel the same. Like, boy, just the way that those numbers got crunched, I could tell they were going through something. <laughs> so, Or the way they spoke up during our class-wide discussions about I don't know, Pythagorean <laughs> theorem. <laughs> yeah. Pythagoras isn't really looking for thoughts or opinions. It's just kind of, he figured it out. <laughs> That's true. That's a good point. Anyway, now I feel like I've veered into a weird area. So let's get to <laughs> the episode at hand, which is Parenthood Season 3, Episode 16, Tough Love. It was written by Monica henderson Boletsky, directed by Lawrence Trilling. It originally aired on February 14th, Valentine's Day, Aww. 2012. <laughs> and here is the NBC synopsis. Julia struggles to detach herself from getting too involved in Zoe's life. Christina reacts to Amber and Bob Little's plans to go off on a weekend business trip together. And Max tries to use his Asperger's as an excuse to get out of P.E. Meanwhile, Sarah and Mark's plan to have a baby elicits an unexpected reaction from Drew. At the end of our podcast last week, I know one of the biggest question marks was for Amber and Bob. Yeah. Where was that going? None of us felt very good about it. No. <laughs> and now they're going away for a weekend trip together. Red flag. <laughs> and we are not the only ones who are concerned. Super work appropriate. That's funny. <laughs> it's really not that big of a deal. I just want to look nice, try to get yeah. me to a formal occasion. This is what you I've got. can't avoid being super sexy. That's funny. Can't help it. No. I don't even know if I'm going to wear these or not yet. I just am bringing a bunch of stuff. Mm -hmm. Either these or these. Or others. For what? I have are other you guys, is there like a bunch of you cl clubbing afterwards or something? No. Who are you dressing for? A bunch of, bunch of sexy interns. No, no sexy interns this time. Just, just me and Bob. Just you and Bob? Yeah. I mean, I'm his assistant, so, you know, I, I gotta assist him. Mm-hmm. He's cute, right? He's, like, young, too. Do you wanna, like, hook up with him? Hattie, why would you even say that? I don't of know. It's not. Be... Don't, please don't. He's you, young. You don't... He's at least young. Patty, it's not funny. I, you know, he's my boss. So please, you know, don't go making those kinds of jokes to your, like, mom and stuff. Just forget that completely, okay? All right. Yeah. Forgotten. You just don't even know what you're talking about. Emily, I want to start by just saying that I've been really examining this relationship between Amber and Bob. And it's been kind of fascinating for me because I remember when this originally aired in 2012, I, I weirdly thought they were kind of cute. <laughs> and I'm having such a different opinion this time around. <laughs> and so I thought I would preface asking you how you feel about their relationship and, and how, you know, concerned maybe Hattie was just with that. Like, just as, you know, from a young, you're close to Amber's age here. I was just wondering what your thoughts were. Yeah, I am. Amber's age. So when this was happening, I think the first time I was like you, I kind of viewed it as, you know, Hattie got 
freaking Michael B. Jordan. Why can't Amber have her guy, you know? <laughs> right. So just that sympathy playing in of Hattie trying to guide, but they're the same age. So there's not really a mentorship relationship there. And then Amber is this time around, I'm noticing she's almost gaslighting Hattie. Like, no, you don't know what you're talking about. Mm. You don't see what you think you see. So don't talk to your mom. Just really secretive about it. And I view it now as, yeah, that would be not okay anytime, but less okay now. Now that we know quid pro quo relationships never work out for real. So I think that that's just a really sticky situation that Hattie knows is wrong. Yeah. And I think later on, we see in the episode that actually vocalizing it is okay. Validation that yes, you did the right thing, even though Amber was trying to shut it out. And Amber knows too, she's, you know, he's my boss. Why would you think that? Yeah. So I think there's a definite knowledge of wrongdoing, but Amber has never really felt this way before. Right. You know, there's Damien back in season (laughs) one, but now there's not really like Bob has promised he has a job and really shows interest. So I think if you take Amber's perspective, having someone interested in you baits you long enough to actually have the boldness to pack sexy heels in a suitcase for a work trip, you know? Yeah, definitely. You know, I'm amazed that it never occurred to me until you just said it. We haven't seen Amber date anyone. We're almost three whole seasons in. She had Damien before they moved to Berkeley, but I think that was a very immature kind of relationship, even though I think they were sleeping together. That doesn't make things emotionally mature. And she had a crush on Mark, but even she knew that was a crush. I don't think she was ever going to try and make anything happen with that. Am I missing anyone? I mean, she hasn't. I don't think so. And Drew has had a girlfriend in that time. Oh, Hattie has had. She's, oh, well, she slept with Steve. Oh, that's true. I wasn't even thinking of that's Steve. That's who I'm missing. <laughs> I was thinking of, what was his name? Greg or Gary? The guy who worked at Julia's office and they, was that got dating? And, yeah, they got I don't high know, but, together. I don't know. But but it is, it, Bob does seem different in that regard Mm -hmm. like in the right context you might really want them to be together and he would be like a respectable solid choice yeah and she might be really eager Mm -hmm. to like hey i found someone Mm -hmm. bob has a quality that the other guys have not that we're either friends with benefits or immature relationships and that is stability and for us we want amber to be stable we want her to have that because she hasn't had a male relationship you know, starting with her father that has been in her life long-term that has actually influenced her in a good way. So I think we all kind of want that for her. And Bob on paper is a great guy. Yeah. And another thing that I hadn't thought of until you also said it was that Hattie was in a relationship with her boss. Oh, that's true. We've brought that up before. It just doesn't feel the same at all. And I'm wondering why doesn't it feel the same? Is it because... Wasn't she technically a volunteer? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so is someone your boss if you're not being paid to be there? Hattie never had to worry about my job at the center might be in jeopardy. Well, you're not being paid to do it. So you're not really. And if you think about it, both Hattie and Amber were introduced to those people by their family members. Trusted like family. Hattie <laughs> and, and Alex, and then Christina introduced Bob and Amber. So I don't think in their mind, at least immediately, there's anything wrong with that. Oh, 
Oh, such a good point. Yeah. Well, and I was about to say maybe it's not creepy because Michael B. Jordan was also a teenager, a little bit older, but 19 and 16, which doesn't feel like an inappropriate, like, you know, they're at developmental different places or anything. But then I'm thinking, hold the phone, though. One more person dated their boss, and that was Sarah. And, you know, and I think they were the same age, and I was very, you know, skeezed out by that. And she was also yes. introduced to him by a family member, Adam. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, we've established they don't have friends. How else are they going to meet anyone? That's right. They it would only have, have to be other. literally walking down the street. Yeah. <laughs> I guess Crosby met Lily at the studio. You know that he started Jasmine. with his brother, so he right. <laughs> Anyway, something I loved about that scene I played was that I didn't realize how much I missed Hattie and Amber together until seeing them. Have we had a scene with both of them in season three? I can't think of any. I can't either. Not right off. Like even in the road trip episode, they were in their own cars, in their right. own storylines. That's true. It was just like, oh, these two. Yes, they were friends, weren't they? <laughs> their dynamic is wonderful. And I really thought that was such an interesting scene that you just played for many reasons. One, you're totally right. It's just lovely to see them together. But also, I love that Emily pointed out that like Amber's gaslighting her because that's true. But I think at the same time, it's also true that I wonder if Amber isn't looking for someone to stop her. I mean, this is, if you want to get away with it, it's a dumb move to be packing all your sexy stuff in a suitcase in front of someone, you know? Like, doesn't she want to get caught on some level, even if she's not fully aware? Like, she's probably like, someone should stop me. This is a bad idea. Well, I had a weird question along those lines. I thought that Amber's reaction in this scene was actually a big giant indication that there was something going on. Like if she was trying to cover it, she did a really bad job. So my weird question is this, how do you think Amber should have reacted if she wanted to like throw Hattie off the scent? Like, no, there really is nothing going on here. That's a good question. I guess she could have lied and just said, um, I'm hoping to go out and meet someone age appropriate at a club later (laughs) or you know like maybe gave like maybe if she just could have thought of like a legit reason why she was like it's not for bob right yeah i think i think that's a good point that one she wasn't looking for anyone to stop her and then (laughs) yeah i don't know what she would have said differently because i still so just something about me i think michael b jordan is the most gorgeous man on the planet so that's from patty and like i don't know probably like oh he's not that attractive he's scrawny like trying to just downplay his appearance on the respective you know we know that they have access to some very attractive people yeah yeah why would he choose bob you know (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's true. She could be like when when Hattie was throwing out comments like, well, he's young, right? She could be like, he's not young, he's 28, because it's all relative. I mean, yeah. I would call 28 young, but would a 19-year-old looking for a boyfriend call 28 young? You know, like I mean, maybe they mean young for a politician, uh, which you know, so it's all relative. But yeah, she could just be like, What? He's old and no, he's not cute. He looks like a politician, you know, he could, she could totally like say things like that. I think. Yeah. what do you think, Caleb? Like you asked the question, did you have an answer? I wasn't really sure, but I, yeah, either, although I guess my mind went more to like maybe admit some attraction, Mm. but just be like, I would never act on it. Like, yeah, I guess he's kind of cute, but I don't know. The age, the age is a good idea. I think like, no, it's, 
I couldn't find someone my own age. <laughs> yeah. I just thought, don't tell your mom. <laughs> That's a, a bad, a bad strategy. <laughs> what are you talking you. about? No. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. true. <laughs> yeah. Well, when Hattie does tell Christina, I was so proud of her. And I'm shocked. Speaking of, you know, perceptions that have changed since we watched it before, I'm shocked that I used to think Hattie was immature. I used to think she was whiny and bratty and kind of like <laughs> typical teenager. She is a paragon of maturity <laughs> and just like t- time and time again, wise and responsible beyond her years. I thought she expressed her concern for Amber re- in a really heartfelt way. It didn't feel like she was tattling on her or trying to get her in trouble. And we even see that she tries to call Amber. Yeah. So even once she knows, oh, my mom's going to do something about this. <laughs> she doesn't want Amber to be ambushed. Amber bushed? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Ambushed? Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I just thought it was very responsible to go to someone who she knew was better equipped to handle a potential problem. Having Emily here reminds me, though, and I don't mean to sound like a suck up. I truly mean this. I find her very believable, though. Like, Um, A few episodes back, you know, she gets into Cornell and her mom is talking to her about how she did everything right. Good student, took AP classes. That's very similar to most of my students, you know, and all of the students who have been on this podcast have been AP students, you know, and uh, so, you know, good at analysis and very thoughtful and everything. So it makes sense. But I say this because I'm like, yeah, it's totally believable. I mean, she is a paragon, but like, I think a lot of teenagers are. Sometimes I think these ideas people have about teenagers being whiny is not accurate. So it's kind of cool to see, Mm. you know, maybe someone accurately represented on a show. Yeah. Yeah. I think Hattie's maturity in general is higher just because of Max Mm. and observing Max's behavior and being able to identify social differences in people and saying, okay, Amber's hiding something in her suitcase or on this trip. And I think she's more in tune with what is different and what might be a good or bad situation to get into just because of, not just because of Max, but just that higher attuneness to situations, I guess. I don't know. I don't know how to explain that, but Yeah, that makes sense. That's good. Did anyone else notice that Amber totally did a Team Holt intro like our (laughs) podcast? Uh, I have a mom. I hope so. I have a dad somewhere and I have a brother. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) She's ready. Come on. (laughs) Come on. What's your history with the show Parenthood, Amber? (laughs) Um, I lived it. Yeah. Uh, that is true. Like, it does make you wonder what was their conversation five seconds before we joined them? He's like, do you have a mom? Like, you know, he's like, what is your family situation exactly? Yeah. What if the question five seconds before was, tell us about Team Holt? <laughs> Could Whoa. have been. You never know. Whoa. Yeah, I mean, again, though, we watched their their dynamic right there in that in that little clip. What do we think of the way they interact with each other? I mean, do they have chemistry? Is there any part of you that finds like you under like you're like I get the appeal or are you just bothered? What what do you think in this one? I think coming from two different perspectives, their introduction probably was would have been an interesting conversation just because if you think of Bob as 
a running politician and Amber, a high school graduate who isn't pursuing a college degree for whatever, you know, choices that she's making in that, in that instance, it probably would have started like, where did you go to school? What was your major? And mm. since she can't do that, it's, you find your identity in whatever uh. you you surround yourself with. So for her, it's her mom, it's her brother, it's her family. Yeah. And I think falling back on that, that's a, that's a very common conversation that people my age have of where are you going for school? Like, what are your aspirations as a young person? Since she is an intern working for this campaign or this politician, I think the easiest thing for her to fall back on that she knows is her family. Yeah. I think I buy some chemistry between them. Like, I think if, he wasn't her boss and I don't know how else they might've met. Or maybe if she wasn't working on that campaign and she like went in to visit Christina sometime for some reason and struck up a conversation with a guy and said, Oh, he's the head of the campaign. I I could see that having a life, but that's not what happened. Yeah. And from that scene, I I took note. I think Jonathan Tucker is really well cast. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's charming enough to make Amber's attraction to him believable, mm-hmm. I think. But creepy enough mm-hmm. and smarmy <laughs> enough to make the audience dislike him. I mean, I was watching like kind of with my <laughs> like eyes through my parted fingers. Yeah. Like, oh, here we go. And like something you said earlier, Emily, like Amber knows that it's wrong, at least enough to keep it concealed. So that proves that she knows better. And I feel like, I guess maybe Bob hasn't done anything quite the same, but I mean, he didn't take anyone else on the trip. Yeah. So, and who knows, maybe there's some other explanation for that, but it felt to me like, yeah, he's trying to keep this secret. Although I did wonder when they're making it out and there's a knock at the door, especially at a hotel, I would look through the <laughs> and see who it was and they're not going to know if you're there or not if he just didn't answer it wouldn't be like i know bob's in there maybe he's not maybe he's out yeah that's a good but he's point. just like please come in discover us <laughs> yeah yeah he doesn't say amber go in the bathroom although maybe right. that just means that maybe he doesn't think he's doing anything wrong and amber doesn't go running she's just all like well, hey, Aunt Christina, is everything okay? <laughs> Remarkably composed. I think I would have been super embarrassed. That's a that's a good point. I think the rushing to the door may have been an attempt to hold himself above reproach. Because mm. if he did wait and decide later on that he wanted to open the doors, what were you doing? Why did it take so long to get to the door? Mm. Uh. But body language was a huge part because Amber at first was very composed and then it's not what it looks like. It's just, you know, I'll explain it later. But then of course, Christina. Yeah. <laughs> I. <laughs> Christina. Hey. Hello. What Bob. are you doing in Sacramento? Amber. Hi. Aunt Christina, what are you doing here? It's pretty um, late. Is everything okay? What, what is going on right now? Do you understand how this looks? Can you calm it doesn't down. look very good, Amber. Hey, just a moment. We're two adults here who've had a nice, long, hard day at work, uh-huh. and now we're having She's a 19, drink. you're 28. Do you understand that we're in the middle this of a is, campaign listen, and we're working together? Yeah, Do you get that? This should be really clear Bobby, so that this doesn't get out. You should probably, Excuse me. Christina. Just before you the whole thing spirals out of control. Leave. It's not a big deal, Please, okay? I'm an adult. Please stop talking to me. Just get out. We'll talk in the car. I'm going to go ahead and pack up your lingerie. I'm trying to remain calm right now. You're upset. I'm trying to remain very calm. I will explain the whole thing to you. We have. I'm extremely disappointed right now. 
this is my fault. Go get dressed. Go. I love Monica Potter as an actress. I think she is awesome. There's a time in a lot of episodes where she either, I think she does overreact and just, you know, as a mom <laughs> and having Patty as the same age as Amber, I think causes her to take in a little bit of reaction, more reaction than say, I think Sarah would not react in the same way. Yeah, I can see that. I actually thought Christina's reaction was kind of perfect. <laughs> I I liked that she clearly I think she was mad on a personal level at Bob, especially. And then I think when she directed that towards Amber, it was disappointment. And I thought that feels appropriate. Mm-hmm. But then I also liked that on a professional level, she was upset that she said to Bob, do you know what this looks like? We're in the middle of a campaign. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming that in the world of the Bravermans, like the whole Clinton impeachment <laughs> happened and like Elliot Spitzer and I, you know, all the, the politicians who've been cheating. And I suppose he's not cheating that we know of, but this would be a sex scandal if, Oh, city council candidate <laughs> Bob Little is sleeping with his intern. Who's 19. And, and the niece of his campaign manager, you know, like, I think it would be a scandal. He should be smarter. Like ethics aside, use your head and be a good candidate. This is a bad move. That's true. And I, she didn't yell or scream. I don't know. I thought she was pretty good. It's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. I think I would agree. I don't, I kind of want to take back my last comment about Sarah responding differently. I think Christina responded separating herself from professionalism and personal like obviously she's disappointed in amber but i think she's more disappointed that bob like she's working for this guy Mm -hmm. and he's trying to in a way seduce her niece um which doesn't look good like it may have if she was a citizen understanding that it may have swayed her vote a little bit and obviously christina with her conversation earlier with hattie hattie said do you trust this guy is he good and christina said absolutely i'm working for him on his campaign of course I think he's good so that may have changed her opinion but I think Sarah I just think of when she's going to Damien's house when she runs away the first time and (laughs) just barges in the door and is looking for her you know frantically this is Um, a brand brand new guy (laughs) (laughs) oh girl (laughs) yeah yeah but yeah I think Christina handled it well for being able to separate and not super, you know, I think Amber was definitely riled up a little bit, but you know, rightfully so. I think both of them handled it fine. So (laughs) it's so funny to me. I vividly remember seeing this in the past and being humiliated for Amber and just seeing it solely through her eyes and being like, what is Christina doing? Like, I just, I remember feeling that (laughs) and I don't know, what has changed with me? Maybe it is just being older. Like I said, that the time's being different now, but I absolutely think Christina did the right thing and handled it so well. And I'm so proud of Hattie for telling her. It's just, I have like done a complete 180 on this. And, and it's, it's more interesting to me than just an opinion changing about a TV show. Like it makes me think things like on what fundamental levels do we evolve over time you know like what makes us so completely change values in certain you know I don't know it's just or like 
you identify with one character. You know, I used to watch Gilmore Girls and identify with Rory and now it's Lorelai and someday it's going to be Emily. You know, it's just, that's where we're heading. And it's just fascinating. Like, I, I don't know. We're just constantly evolving. And it makes me wonder what the show was trying to depict yeah, I'm not like, sure. Like, was the show trying to portray them as a cute couple that you're rooting for? And, oh, they're just, circumstance bungles it up because they're working on the campaign and the timing's off. Or is this a story about being taken advantage of and not even realizing it, maybe? And I can't get a read on the show one way or the other. I don't feel like I'm taking an alternate interpretation from what it's presenting so I almost feel like it's a sort of you can see whatever you want to see. Yeah. If you want to look at it as, man, Christina barged in there and ruined Amber's romantic week- weekend. I think you can find that. And if you want to see it as Amber's walking right into the lion's den <laughs> and she's trying to tell Hattie, get me out of here. But covertly, I feel like you can see that, too. It's just nuts. Well, and earlier, Caleb, you had mentioned he doesn't ask anyone else on the the weekend on the trip. And that's true. But he also, I noticed, doesn't ask Amber. He tells Amber, like, which I think. Clear her schedule. Yeah. He's like, and it might seem like a small difference, but it really bothers me. Like he never really presents it as though Amber has any choice. I mentioned that in the last episode too, that he never says, if you're uncomfortable with the romantic aspect of this, you can just have the job and I will stop pursuing you. Once they kiss, he never throws her any sort of line like that, you know? And when she says, well, is it going to be, you know, romantic or whatever she says, he doesn't say, what do you want? You know? And, and I think those are things I would not have picked up on in the past because I think maybe I listened to an idea of romance that was the man makes all the decisions and you get swept up in it. And it's, you know, and, and now I'm like, no, no, no. It's like, equal partners. And that's not what she is, you know, and he doesn't treat her like that. And he has power over her at work and the whole thing, it just upsets me. So I don't know. Well, that feels intentional then. Those things you point out. Yeah. But they're, they're subtle. They are subtle. But which I think feel like if you were tip tapping away at your keyboard, writing this episode, (laughs) tip tapping, (laughs) (laughs) and you were writing, you know, clear your schedule or or yeah. last episode you were writing like i hope you're ready for this and yeah. not saying you know any wiggle room that feels like a choice yeah so maybe this was supposed to be a cautionary storyline all along it's just a good one because he's so yeah. he seems so benign yeah he does he, he's not like twirling his mustache in the corner or something you know <laughs> like it's uh yeah i mean i think that's the kind of situation women are more likely to find themselves in something real murky like this, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think also just with the intentional writing of clearer schedule, are we thinking that Bob was doing a favor for Amber saying, Hey, we're trying to be romantic, but I work with your, with your aunt here. Do you want this getaway? Or is it more predatory of, I need to separate you from who you're familiar with in order Ooh. to get you in this unsafe Damn. situation. Yeah. Yeah. God, that's good. Ugh. Or is it two birds with one stone? Oh. You he know, gets what he needs and <laughs> he gets her, yeah. separates her from the herd. Yeah. Oh. Gosh. It kind of makes me think the storyline is much better than I used to think it was. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. if they're kind of intending all of this, I think it's kind of genius and and maybe should be like the sort of thing that 
people should watch men and women, <laughs> you know, like, don't be like this it's guy. It's like a, like a workplace training video. Like, Hey, you might be put in a situation <laughs> where it seems totally fine. <laughs> don't go on the trip. <laughs> I'm just picturing like eighties montages of like sexual harassment being yeah, acted out. And you're like, no, here's how that should have happened. You know? <laughs> so, well, and Melissa, you just saying that men and women earlier when you were talking about this is more perhaps believable mm-hmm. than a mustache twirling villain. I was thinking, yeah, men, I think men especially should maybe watch it because I haven't been in situations like that where I'm put in a really uncomfortable situation and just expected to navigate my way through it. And I feel like probably most or certainly a lot of women are. And so I feel like women would be quicker to watch this and recognize Mm. what's not okay about it. And men might watch it. I think Bob would watch it or Bob is conducting himself in a way that I think he has like plausible deniability after the fact, like why didn't force her? I, you know, I'm consensual really nice. And I got her a really nice room and we had chemistry. We had a connection. And like those things are all kind of true, but they they don't explain, I think, what he thinks they would explain. Like, yeah. Anyway, I just think it's something that it would do men good to see and realize, like, you might even think there's nothing wrong, but be sure you're not like reasoning backwards. Yeah, <laughs> totally true. I remember when I was 18. And I I had a job at a restaurant as a waitress and I had a pretty great connection, like friendship connection with a much older guy who worked there. And I thought of him as like a big brother type. (laughs) Sorry. I immediately (laughs) thought of like a 70 year old. And then just the image was funny. I'm so sorry. That's okay. I think he was like 11 years older. So I think I was like 18 and he was like 29 And that's the age difference between my brother and me. So I think in my head, it never even crossed my mind that he would be interested in me. I was like, I'm a child. (laughs) You know, I don't know, like compared to him. Like that that was how I saw it. And I I thought of him as being old. And he asked me out once, and I was like really uncomfortable. And it wasn't because he said it in a uncomfortable way. I, I mean, and, and nothing like what happened with Amber and Bob happened. I mean, really all that happened is we both wanted to die of embarrassment. You know, I was, I was like, Oh, I don't think of you that way. And he was like, Oh, I wish I hadn't asked, you know, and then we were really never friends again. And it just kind of, that's kind of what happened. But I don't know. I think that it is interesting just the way that these things can happen and our perceptions yeah can be just totally different like I imagine he probably thought I was like flirting with him when I was laughing with him and and joking around and I I didn't mean to like that wasn't what I was trying to convey and so sometimes yeah our own perceptions of what's going on is just not fully accurate it's it's very hard to act like we know exactly what other people are thinking and how we're making other people feel you know it's it's interesting I mean, I think even just the distinction of someone you like can ask you out and make you uncomfortable is a good thing to keep in mind. Because I imagine a lot of people, a lot of men in that situation might think we have a great rapport. We get along really well. Even if she says no, 
I'm sure I wouldn't be putting her in an, in an awkward position. Like that's not the case. Yeah. Did you guys get past that and continue working together easily? No, I think I ended up leaving that job not not because of that, but I found another job I liked better, and I think I was like, no, I'm just gonna bounce. <laughs> like I mean, I I think we just never really. It was awkward after that. Yeah, it was never mm. you know and. Yeah, people sometimes are like, take your shot. What's the worst that could happen? And sometimes that's true, but sometimes it's like, nope, that wrecked everything. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. I honestly don't remember what happens. I don't either. In the next episode with this storyline. So My husband I'm asked. interested to see. Well, you raised earlier that it's a little odd that Amber was packing sexy clothes in front of someone if she was trying not to invite questions about it. But I thought as contrivances go on a TV show, like, oh, we have to have one character find out something else about another one. I really kind of bought that one. Like, oh, what an interesting way for Hattie to sense that something is a little fishy. There. I know where you're going with this. <laughs> I thought you might. Because one that I didn't think no. was so successful was Crosby picking up a prescription for an allergy that we've never heard that he has to cats. <laughs> And, you know, all the cats he comes into contact with <laughs> on a regular basis. And then getting right. Zeke's instead. I was yeah. like, I, I realize, I don't know, I, I felt a weird kind of sympathy for television writers because I thought they had to figure out some way yeah. for some character <laughs> to learn about Zeke's health issues without being told about them. So it's by definition <laughs> going to be some contrivance right. to get you there. But I am almost always someone who thinks it's better to be specific than vague, like in writing, you know, show don't tell the, the more details you can provide, the better. This was the rare exception to that, where I didn't really think much of it when it was just random allergy medication. But then he was like, my cat allergies. <laughs> then I just started like, well, it took me right out. I'm like, what cats are you around? I just couldn't get it out of my head. I'm like, you don't have a cat. Does Lily have a cat now that you're dating Lily? Are you needing to be on cat allergy meds? And I just thought if he just said allergy, I'd be like, yeah, everybody has allergies. You know, I don't think I would have even thought anything of it. So anyway, that's my hot I take. even thought he should have known the name of the drug. I feel like if you were taking an allergy medication kind of <laughs> constantly, yeah. Wouldn't you know it's the name of the cat drug allergy. and call it that instead of saying it's your cat allergy medication? I don't know. I actually made a note. I used to volunteer in a hospital and my parents are healthcare workers. So I can tell you that that guy would have been fired for sure. That would not happen in your life. <laughs> and just thinking about when you pick up a prescription at the pharmacy, they ask for your date of birth and your name, right? Yeah. So whatever date of birth that Zeke oh. has is not even comparable to what Crosby has. And there was no verification there. There was just nothing. He was given. just going like, to let him oh, walk out. Know. This 30-year-old man looks like he might be on blood thinner. Like, no, absolutely <laughs> not. Like, I, I was definitely taken out of that scene when that happened. <laughs> God, that is an even better point than the yeah. cat thing. Like, that's such a good point. Oh, my God. I didn't even, that didn't even occur to me. Yeah, this was clunky, everyone. We love the show. But that was pretty clunky. Yeah. We have and to... pharmacist guy, I hope you had fun at the job while you still had it. <laughs> yeah, because after that, he's like, 
I'm not going to tell you the name of that medication. I'm like, well, he's just been a paragon of (laughs) integrity up till this point. Well, Crosby learns enough to Google the medications and get worried about it and goes to confront his parents about it. I went to pick up my allergy medication at the pharmacy and they gave me a bunch of dad's pills by accident. Warfarin? I Googled that. That's That's a very serious medication. Your dad doesn't want you to worry. And really, there's nothing to worry about. It's preventative more than anything. Well, but for what? What happened? Look, Goose, I'd really like to talk to you about this, but dad was very specific about my not discussing his health with you kids. You know how private he is. He's on erectile dysfunction commercial. I don't think he can claim privacy as his number one priority anymore. Mom, you can tell me what's going on. I'm not 13 years old. I mean, if I need to be worried, then tell me I need to be worried, and I'll start helping no, her. it's just that your dad wants to appear strong to your kids. It's important to him. And if there's anything that turns out to be worrisome, I'll let you know. I first want to point out how much I love that Camille's sitting at that table doing her bills or whatever it is she's doing, just listening to some smooth jazz. (laughs) She's so classy. She's so classy. I just loved that before that particular clip, she does... Just uh, several classic Camille and Crosby-isms. She calls him Goose like 12 times, which I think is so endearing. And then she's like, are you over here for your laundry or for food? She keeps trying to like do things for him, you know, as she does. It's how she shows love. So I don't know. The whole thing kind of put me in a nice frame of mind. Oh, this was a conflict I really appreciated because like the best ones, I really could see everyone's perspective. I didn't think Zeke was being unreasonable, not wanting to tell his kids. Although I do think it's a largely selfish choice, mm. but I don't think in a toxic way. I think he I think he doesn't want to have to talk about his own mortality yeah. any more than he has to. So it's for his comfort. And Crosby's concern, I feel like, couldn't be more genuine or loving. And poor Camille is like recognizing that her son is in distress and wanting to help him with that, but also wants to honor her husband's wishes. And I do think Zeke's claim of privacy is valid. He should get to decide who knows and who doesn't. Unlike the situation with the pharmacist. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, totally. I love Camille and Zeke's spousal confidentiality. (laughs) Just how they go through what they choose to decide to tell their kids and what remains sacred with them until they're ready to share it. I think that's a really valuable trait that she has to be strong about. And especially Crosby, I want to give you as much information as I can. I don't know how much I get to tell you right now in this moment, but like when we're ready, we will share it. I think they're a real team in that, that they keep that between the two of them. I love that too. It reminded me of um, the episode, no good deed when Adam is kind of like decompressing in his car Mm. before he goes inside and he's so stressed out and Christina comes out and sort of interrupts it. And she's like, Oh no, did I intrude? And he's like, get in. Yeah. I just (laughs) love that. You know, everyone has their various circles of trust, what you share with people and what you don't. And I like that the show shows spouses are in the center of that circle together. Just like that Camille gets a special place. She's even closer than the kids. Well, and it's, it. it also makes sense because 
I think that's something Zeke has been working on specifically with her, like through therapy, you know, I think Mm -hmm. he's been working on being more vulnerable, but it's a big step to go from, okay, I'm going to be more vulnerable with my wife (laughs) to everyone. And also Camille can probably relate in a different way to like fears of mortality. You know, I think they're about the same age. They're at a certain level and maybe that's something they both wish to shield from their kids, but that's impossible. Something that really struck me is at the end of the episode when Zeke finally does, you know, kind of confide in Crosby about what's going on. He says something along the lines of, well, I'm not going anywhere. And Crosby's like, yeah, okay. You know, and I, I don't even think it's supposed to be like a huge moment, but I thought, what a strange thing. I mean, that's a lie. I'm not going anywhere. Maybe he means eventually. eventually we all are, you know, and I don't think it's a vicious lie and I don't even think Zeke meant to lie. It's just, you know, it's just how dare you not be immortal. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I just thought it was such an interesting he's trying to comfort his son and I think in a way it makes it worse because you can't say that and have it be true. And Crosby knows that and this is like a big Reality, reality check. check. Yeah. yeah. I, I can't put this off forever, can I? There's something, you know. Also, yeah. Zeke doesn't know because when you have AFib, it's just, you, I don't think he knows enough about his own illness to be able to confidently give those answers to Crosby, yeah. which in that moment just might be a temporary comfort of I'm not going anywhere for the time being. You yeah. know, <laughs> I think that situation is juxtaposed because Zeke does confide in his kids about certain things. Like he confides in Adam about when he makes that real estate investment, he lets Adam in on it, but not Camille and purposefully does not tell her because he wants validation from Adam first. So I think with health stuff, it's Camille and Camille only until he's ready to feel comfortable with sharing with the rest of his kids. But certain things like the affair that he had earlier on or the investments that he's making, he's drawing in his older kids to get a second opinion rather than his wife. Yeah, that's a great point. And does go to show, like you said, Melissa, that he's grown. Well, although I guess you're saying maybe it's subject, it's the content of what he's sharing. Although maybe both Like if we saw him sharing financial stuff with Camille, then we'd be like, you've really grown. (laughs) Because you did not do that before. Yeah. But I think it's both. I think both can be true because I I actually have a hard time picturing Zeke having an affair now. And I know that he had one in the past. And I don't think it's just... Well, now he's old and no one wants him. He's charming. I, th- I think if he really want, put his mind to it, he could have an affair. <laughs> you know, I don't, I think that he's maybe like appreciative of his life and what he has in ways he might've taken for granted when he was younger. And I think maybe almost losing Camille yeah. has really put that into perspective for him. And uh, so, yeah, I think it's both. I I think that you're totally right that he couldn't confess that sort of thing to her before, but I don't think he'd have anything to confess now um, in that department. I liked that when he did finally tell Crosby, there was no, but only you get to know, don't tell anyone else. They do that all the time. I hate it. I know, and he did it during the basketball game when Crosby kind of needles it out of Zeke. (laughs) Zeke answered saying, no matter what you do, don't tell Adam. I thought, Why? If you've already, okay, if you were trying to keep it from them, it didn't work. Yeah. 
stop. Don't. <laughs> it's like when, <laughs> like when Sarah found the condoms. Don't tell anyone else. Like, that's. That's not good. <laughs> That's why they all need friends. It's just, it's so terrible. They'll tell one yeah. family member and then don't tell anyone else. It's just It's exhausting. also, I'm seeing now, like, not wanting to tell the kids, the impulse there is one of protecting the kids. But once you have told one of them and then tell them not to tell the other, now I feel like you're burdening the kid. Yes. Like that, okay, you've, you've shifted what you're putting on them in a really bad way. Yeah, I agree with that. I do want to just say before we move on from this storyline, it is such a great Crosby episode, I think. You know, dumb cat allergy aside, it's like very (laughs) lovely to see how much he loves his parents. You know, you're right. Like you said earlier that that was um, totally well-intentioned. There's there's no ulterior motive. He's just worried about his dad because he loves him. That's beautiful to see. Yeah, there's there's no agenda. It's just, I hope my dad's okay. That's really something nice. that also is occurring to me now lily was hardly in this episode mm-hmm. but in the one scene that she was in crosby was googling the symptoms and sharing his concerns with her that is a very unique form of intimacy oh yeah <laughs> and i think it does show that they are progressing even though we're not really getting to see a lot of the progression that he is letting her in on something so close to him, so personal. Yeah, I took note of that too. Mm-hmm. I thought that's that's a pretty great stage to be at, to to be able to be worried in front of someone. And not, he's, yeah, he's like kind of freaking out in front of her and not being like, I'm sure it's fine. You know, he's not, yeah. yeah. And at first when that scene started, the camera was up very close on their faces. And I thought, oh, are they at his home? And I thought that would be a nice subtle way mm. of also revealing like, She's spending the night there, mm. but then they pulled out and no, they were at the luncheonette, but still yeah. the symptoms was enough. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Do you have any thoughts on Lily? I mean, she's barely in the episode, but you know, so we can, yeah. yeah. I think Crosby's ex-girlfriends are all very lovely and he does not deserve them. Until <laughs> he's fully I think she's the only real, um, I think that in a lot of these episodes, um, especially earlier on when we see with Katie, the very practical mindset of in our age, in our age bracket, we aren't going to her mom's for laundry. We are thinking about having a family and <laughs> doing mature adult things. Um, in this episode, Lily is trying to tell him, you are not supposed to look on Google to see your symptoms <laughs> or whatever. It almost reminds me of, you know, having like Greek mythology, you have little things that come up and drag the story along she's one of those stitched in like okay like we can't do this like it's kind of to remind him that you need to be mature about this situation and I think she's really his support in this scene because if it was not for her he would have definitely spiraled and things would have escalated and we don't want that for Crosby because his situation is already very not unstable in a way that's we don't know what's going to happen with him but he doesn't understand what's happening all the time just his level of <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> like just where he is in the sibling order even though julie is younger he always feels like he has less less of a say just she pulls a rank a lot and yeah. i think that having lily there helped him realize okay i need to stop doing this i need to separate myself from the situation and not escalate it and you're also making me wonder certain things like i remember in the movie that the crosby counterpart was the youngest 
And it makes me wonder if maybe the only reason Crosby isn't the youngest is because probably Dak Shepard is older than Erica Christensen. And so they just thought, well, just, you know, because I mean, he acts, the she certainly does not act like the youngest. She acts like the no. oldest, you know? And so, yeah, I mean, anyway, just a little mini tangent. That's, that's interesting. But yeah, I mean, he totally feels like the baby that you have to coddle. I mean, he does, Camille does not call Julia goose, you know, I mean, that's what you call <laughs> your sad little lost child who just is, you know, it's affectionate, but it's also, I don't know. It's like a funny nickname that seems revealing. Well, speaking of Julia, nice. <laughs> that's all I got. That's good. Um, this works. I have a question about, well, basically the conflict in this story, but let's contextualize it with a clip. My friend at my old firm called me and she needs a new paralegal. And I told her about you. I, I really have no idea what that, I don't know what a paralegal does. I don't even, I didn't, I don't know anything about the law. But you're a smart girl. Trust me, you're smarter than most of the paralegals I work with. You can pick it up quick. But didn't they like go to school and they're all gonna apply for this job. I have no experience. I mean, I know how to make coffee. Okay, I have a little bit of pull. <laughs> you have connections? She's my friend. I talked to her about you and how special you are. Pretty gangster of you. To... So, <laughs> if you're interested, she needs the application by six. I know you can do this. I don't even know what this means. Salary requirement? Well, you can leave that blank. Actually, the salary is set at 48. 48 what? 48 grand. Holy balls. Are you serious? For no yes. know-how of how to do this job. You can learn on the job, like I said. Zoe, I know you can do this. So my question is, is Julia overreaching here? Hmm. Or is this just kind and supportive? She can't give her money, right. as we've established. But she can perhaps assist her in getting her a better job than she could get on her own. And then Zoe would earn her own money. I hope this isn't an unethical answer, but my first instinct is to say it's fine. And the reason I'm saying that is I think people have ins all the time. It's why so many people get jobs. And maybe that's unfair, but it's how it is. And I feel like someone like Zoe should benefit from a system that usually benefits like, you know, straight white dudes, <laughs> like, you know, like where it's like a boys club and that's why someone gets a job. I love the idea of a woman helping another woman, um, especially a woman who, as we've seen, doesn't have much support in her life, financial or otherwise. And someone who, is, you know, I, I just think, I think it's okay, but I'm fully prepared to hear other <laughs> answers if anyone disagrees. So yeah, what, what do you guys think? I agree with you that it is okay to help someone find a job, even if it was for the interest of that person in their place in your life, i.e. carrying your child versus mm -hmm. just a random friend. I don't see an ulterior motive just because I know that Julia genuinely wants Zoe to succeed. And even when her and Joel are talking later on, she realizes that there needs to be some separation after there's almost an exchange of goods that is about to happen. <laughs> yeah. And I know wow. it sounds really bad, but the same kind of mentality of, okay, we're going to get something from you. I want to set you up the best that I know how yeah. in order to, to do that. Here's a job application. I also think that it is such a privilege that Julia has to be able to see Zoe's situation from the outside, yeah. going up with her, with all the groceries, 
and seeing this house in what we can assume is not a great part of town and saying, I'm, I'm setting you up. I'm, I like the cards are there for you. Yeah. All you need to do is fill this out for Julia. That does not seem like a big deal, but for Zoe, just think of the mental obstacle being, you know, very pregnant and the idea of going into a full-time job probably is a lot. And even though it's not a life that is super supportive of what she could have, it's still her life. And you have mm. that obstacle that you need to get over of that job pays very well. It's probably much high pressure than what she's used to. But yeah, I think Julia is definitely showing her privilege in this episode, just because she assumes that it's so easy for Zoe to get into this job when for Zoe, it's probably not. Yeah. While you were talking, it made me realize too, that just earlier this season, we see a very similar thing where Christina basically hands a job to Amber that Amber doesn't think she, you know, will be good at. And I think the difference is Amber grew up with privilege. Now, maybe one could argue not as much as some of her, you know, cousins, because, you know, Sarah and Seth, and, and that was a whole different thing. But still, she at least has her grandparents as a model and her aunts and uncles as a model. And, and I think even though she had some self-doubt, ultimately she's like, this will be fine. And she has, you know, she didn't get into college, but she has a high school degree, you know, so that's one extra step than Zoe has. And yeah, really good points. Well, you mentioned the conversation between Joel and Julia. It's a conversation I've been dying for them to mm -hmm. have. And this is literally the first time we've ever heard them discuss what's going to happen after Zoe has the baby. What is she yeah. thinking? Honey, <sighs> this baby's coming soon. Okay, and eventually we're going to have to cut ties with Zoe, you know? I do, I do know that, and I'm trying to set her up for that point instead of just throwing her to the wolves. It comes to a point where, I mean, she's gonna have to make her own decisions. Maybe she doesn't want to feel indebted to us. I mean, especially if she's changing her mind about the baby. Oh, that would, that's no, no, that would make sense. You can't do that. You can't go down this road every single time Zoe changes her mind. Okay, and it's, you just have to be prepared for whatever decision she makes. It seemed like there was no hint of a possibility that maybe the arrangement they'd all decided on wasn't the best one anymore. But I suppose they're taking their cues from Zoe, and if she hasn't indicated that, then maybe they're right to just stick with the plan she had in place. Although it was not her plan to move in with them. <laughs> I don't know. It just it feels like such a train wreck coming even if everything goes fine with the baby and i sh i sure do feel like they are broadcasting to the audience be concerned yeah. that zoe might keep the baby all i will say about that is none of the things that zoe seems to be worried about post-birth would be made any better by having a newborn to provide for yeah. so while i think the pain of not keeping the child might be getting realer for her I would think that the allure of not having to be responsible for it would still be there. You know, that's such a good point. But I will say I've been a high school teacher for 16 years now, and it's a surprisingly high number of students I've seen get pregnant. And of 
course I have no idea if anyone like ever chooses to terminate the pregnancy, then no one ever knows that. But I only know of one who gave the baby up for adoption. Every other girl kept the baby, you know, and, and Zoe is older than, than those kids, you know, than those teenagers. And so I say that because I don't know, I, I think that while a lot of people may think adoption just makes so much sense if you're, you know, going to go through with the pregnancy and, and have the child adoption makes the most sense. And it does, I think, but that doesn't, at least I know this is anecdotal evidence and everything, but it certainly doesn't seem to be the uh, choice that people I know have, have made. And I'm sure their lives are much um, harder for that, but for them, it seems worth it. You know, like they, they've weighed all the, the, all the options and that's, that's where they landed. I think that's really interesting. So while you have been waiting for a really long time for them to have that conversation, I was waiting for Julia to say some version of what she says in this episode to Zoe that like, it's not just the baby I care about. It's you because I, I really, I, I don't know. Sometimes I'm like, are you just totally taking this, this person yeah. for granted? And, and, you know, I think that was another reason I really loved her trying to set her up with a job and everything. Cause I was like, it may have been sort of tone deaf and out of touch and <laughs> revealed that they are in very different places in life. I, really appreciated that she cares what happens to Zoe after. And it may seem like that's a given, but it really didn't always feel that way to me. So, yeah. Yeah. I thought the same thing. And I, when I posed the question earlier about, you know, is Julia overstepping her bounds? The question occurred to me, but I sort of came down on the same side as both of you. Like, I think this is kind and she's looking out for her and she's trying to prevent just dropping Zoe with no path forward. Right. But I wasn't thinking about the issues that Zoe raises in that same conversation. I meant to say thanks for recommending me for that job, but I decided not to take take it. Yeah? Yeah. Why not? It just wasn't for me, you know? Besides, I don't really think it's my thing to wear nylons every day. Right. Not my style, you know. <laughs> But I just, I don't want you to be disappointed. I mean, it was super nice of you and, and I really appreciate it. So thanks for sticking your neck out. It's fine. Okay. Okay, Zoe, it's not fine. Zoe, I am disappointed. I don't understand. I don't understand why you wouldn't take that job. I don't know. I don't, I just, <laughs> it's not for me, so. Look around here. You can do something about this. You have about to do what? it though. <laughs> About your situation, about your life. You My can make situation. it better. My <laughs> situation? Yeah, it's possible to change things. Well, it's nothing about easy. my situation fact, is hurting your baby, okay? I'm, I'm not worried right. about... I'm eating right, I'm resting, and, and that's all you need to worry no, about. You so know that's, you that's, to worry that's about. not all that I'm worried about. You so, have to know that I'm worried about more than that. I know exactly what now. you're worried about. You're worried that the baby's going to come out dumb like me. I'm not. That's what you're really worried about. You're not dumb, but would you stop acting like it? This was easy. It's this not job that easy. had your name on it waiting for How you. How dare you say it's that easy? How dare you? I arranged it. It was set up for you. You arranged it? You think you could just come in here and arrange everything for my life, right? You buy some, some organic crap groceries, and you bring it in, and you fix everything, and so when you leave, everything's going to be fine, right? Well, guess what? I don't even have a high school diploma. 
It says right there in the application, high school diploma required. So how easy are things looking now? It just occurred to me it's total it's almost directly a scene from My Fair Lady. But <laughs> really? Where where Henry Higgins has passed Eliza off as a lady of high class. But it's all a masquerade, sort of. It's an illusion. He hasn't actually changed her. educated her or changed, you know. And he's just trying to win a bet. And she says, you know. Where am I to go? What am I to do? What's to become of me? It's not exactly the same. Because Julia is trying to consider what comes after. But she was doing it without even, it seems, totally knowing Zoe. Yeah. It reminds me, I grew up in a... Christian environment, so it reminds me of short-term missions, like Julie's trying to evangelize oh. Zoe a little bit and try to say, everything is going to be good, I'm going to set you up, and then when, when she leaves, it's, you know, you you hope that it's going to sustain itself, but she, she isn't setting up Zoe until I feel like she offers the job in such a way that will be able to be sustained, and even then, she's going to see Zoe at the firm, she's going to have somewhat of a relationship and Zoe does not necessarily want that. God, that's a great comparison. I love that. And <laughs> and it is really interesting. I mean, all Julia really can offer, I think, is a job in a field that she knows. She doesn't have, you know, pull outside of that. But it is interesting. She doesn't ask, well, what kind of job might you like to have? How do we get you there? You know, she just kind of tries to solve it in her world instead of trying to maybe meet Zoe where she is and... Yeah, that's, yeah, that's interesting. Did either of you feel like Zoe was almost baiting Julia at the beginning of that scene? Mm -hmm. Let me see if I can get you to Hmm. tell me what you really think about me not taking that job. Hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Which she was mad successful at. (laughs) Absolutely. And I think the climax of her point was, I don't even have a high school diploma. And then Julia's like, oh, like that realization that, a baseline requirement is not met. How am I supposed to overcome this new obstacle? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and you know, I didn't think that Caleb until you just said it. And now I'm like, Oh yes, I think she was now that you, you point that out. But now I'm wondering too, did, did she ultimately want to know what Julia thinks of her? Like, you know, do you think she wanted to feel like this has meant something you have to admit it? Like, we're friends. We, you, you, you love me, right? Like, I wonder if she was baiting her by doing like reverse psychology on that. It's almost like Zoe was saying, <laughs> "Wait, Emily, have you ever heard of Swim Man? It's like a movie from like when you were born. What? I don't need to ask what you're before. You were born. Before it was before you were because it was the nineties. Was it? I can't remember. It was like either late 90s, early 2000s, but it was this <laughs> crazy. Yeah, I guess I don't know. I want to, anyway. I would guess 2002 or one. But anyway, Erica Christensen, Julia, plays, it's it's like fatal attraction, but for teenagers. Like she moves to town and she's just. 2002. 2002. Look at that. She's like straight crazy. <laughs> like she falls for a guy who already has a girlfriend, but that doesn't stop her. And she like. <laughs> Very misogynistic. <laughs> oh, it's. <laughs> It's a horrible movie that I love. Like, and and I bet if I looked at it now, I'd be like, this is a troubling message, you know, very, yeah, very sexist. And yeah, anyway, it, it, 
<laughs> ultimately results in she tries to kill the guy's girlfriend while screaming, you love me, I know it. So sometimes we'll make swim fan shows, but it's, uh, yeah, anyway, that's, that's just funny to think about. I was your age when that movie came out. It's just, anyway, time marches on. Um, but yes, it is almost like Zoe saying, you love me, I know it. That's pretty great. <laughs> I felt like Zoe was really kind of calling Julia out as a little bit of a white savior. Mm, like, absolutely. Or at the very least, like an elite savior. I don't know if that's a thing, but, and I don't think that's, uh, I certainly don't think that's invalid. Yeah. It feels like a very harsh read on the situation on her part, but, you know, she's going through it and yeah. she is coming right up on really the hardest part of this whole journey. I also wondered if maybe Zoe is trying to push Julia away to make the separation easier. You know, she said early on that giving the baby to someone she likes would be hard for her. Yeah. Maybe she's trying to like Julia less. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) I like that. Well, and you mentioning the very term white savior kind of hints at something that I wasn't necessarily going to bring up, but let's just go there. It is weird to me how, you know, we have Michael B. Jordan last season as Alex, and now we've got Rosa Salazar as, as Zoe and, it's like these two characters of color, neither one of them has a high school diploma. Like I'm just like, Oh yeah. That feels like a kind of a crappy note. And I mean, I know we also have Jasmine, we have Dr. Joe, a pediatrician. I mean, I do get that. It's not like, but I'm like the two teens that we've met who aren't white are like, you know, super stereotypical. I mean, and to their credit, they're both portrayed by actors who do not make those characters feel one dimensional or like stereotypes, but the way yeah. they're written kind of stereotypes. That's stereo- a good point. Yeah. I mean, I brought that up and I didn't even think of that. Yeah. I think it's a very interesting point that in both situations, Hattie and Julia both go into those relationships thinking that they can help that other person. When in reality, both characters, yeah. Alex and Zoe, have done the best that they can with the situations that they are in. Yes. So the idea that Hattie can elevate Alex by suggesting he, you know, I can't remember what what she tries to get out of him or tries to better him with, but trying to better Zoe and lift her up with the GED. I thought the end of that episode was with their practicing flashcards. That was a very fluffy end to the episode like they're okay now she wasn't (laughs) totally put off by julia's insensitivity to her situation but i think a lot of it was motivated in the in the way of okay at the very least i want to help you in the right direction yeah but it's still yeah it's a very savior complex situation that both hattie and julia have i think yeah it's a hard line to or hard balance to strike, I think, because it's not like, well, the moral is don't ever try to help anybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that's not it. Right. But I had the same thought you did about the flashcards. Like, I was happy to see Zoe doing them because I want Zoe to succeed. And if she wants to get a high school diploma to help her get closer to whatever her ambitions are, then I'm all for it. But I also felt a twinge of something that Julia is once again, pretty much being rewarded for pushing too hard and not knowing when to stop. Yeah. And like, that's a recurring character trait of hers. Yeah. So I appreciate it from an authenticity perspective. (laughs) Like 
but I, I think it would it would also be compelling drama to see her go up against someone that wouldn't work on. Yeah. Like yeah. someone who just refused to be pushed. How would Julia handle that? I think sometimes that comes up with Sydney though. That's a good point. (laughs) Yeah, true. The flashcard thing is such an interesting point because my first thought was that it felt like a throwback to the movie where Julia and Joel's counterparts were always using flashcards with their child, like the Sydney Mm -hmm. counterpart. But it plays really differently when you use flashcards on a kid <laughs> than when you use flashcards on like a, a woman who's probably like 2021 20, or something, you know, it's like, I don't know. It feels a little con like, I felt like that was maybe supposed to be a cute moment and framing it as cute feels a little tone deaf, you know, like, like mm-hmm. this isn't cute. Like <laughs> this is, this is hard. She, she needs, you know, I, I don't know. It just didn't feel like the right thing. Although I suppose the charitable way of looking at it is Julia tried to help Zoe by just handing her an application and saying, here, you go do it. And now she's at least there with her. Mm -hmm. Okay, you need to work for this GED. And Julia says, if you need help, I'm really good with that. Yeah. Which I believe. I'm sure she is. And she (laughs) shows up and puts in the time, not just, I don't know. Buys her the cards. That's the sunny side of looking at it. But I did feel like, Julia didn't learn a great lesson here, I don't think. I think she learned when you're pushing to get your way and someone tells you to stop, just keep pushing. They'll give in. It also relates to a a weird random thought I had from their big confrontation scene. Julia was reminding me so much of Zeke in that scene in ways that Adam often does. And pretty often Crosby reminds me of Zeke. It led me to wonder, is Sarah the most Camille-like of the Braverman children. I think that she is maybe the most creative. Mm -hmm. I mean, even though Crosby is a music producer, Sarah writes plays and Sarah reads Faulkner and wrote songs with Seth and did all the design for the band. She's got that facet of Camille's creativity, I think. And in her way, I think she might be the most nurturing. Mm -hmm. I think Adam has some nurturer in him, but he's married such a nurturer (laughs) that I don't think he gets to let that out often. And he has so much Zeke in him (laughs) to like balance it out. Anyway, that was my random thought. Maybe Sarah is the Camille. I agree. And I think there's an episode where Camille even tells Sarah that they have a heart to heart when she's living with them and says something along the lines of, with that similarity, I don't exactly remember what it oh, is. She calls her her favorite, and yes. then, but then she says, maybe not my favorite, but is it the, you're the one I most identify with? Yeah, I think that's I what think she says. So. I think so. Yeah. yeah. You're my best one. Maybe not my best one, but you, you're the one that I most identify with. It's when she's going through a hard time, and yeah. that's something to bring comfort to her. Yeah. Because she doesn't really feel like she belongs anywhere. And I think Sarah's wandering spirit and wandering physically all the time and not really settling with a person until later on. It's it's hard to feel like you are a part of, not necessarily part of the family, because of course it's all familiar to her, but more as a developed human in that family that's their own person. It's It might be a little more difficult. I love that. And, and something I find interesting is, I agree with all of that, 
And yet I think she might be the favorite of both of her parents. Like, (laughs) although there's some debate because um, I think there's another episode, maybe the Thanksgiving one where Adam comments that Crosby is Camille's favorite. And I'm like, Crosby is the only one who gets a a nickname, you know? Seriously, I don't know why you're her favorite. But, you know, I mean, I still think back to the pilot when Zeke is like, and to my shining angel, Sarah, I'm like, I don't feel like we've heard him say anything like that to any of the other kids, you know? And, and I also think Sarah's my favorite. I think of the, uh, you know, she'd be the one I'd want to hang out with. She's fun and funny and self-deprecating I don't I don't know but yeah yeah. it's funny that makes me feel kind of bad for Adam because I certainly (laughs) don't think he's either of their favorites but I think he does the most for both of them yeah (laughs) and and I that feels like a very believable (laughs) typical older child thing that they get a lot of crap (laughs) put on them but no that's no one's favorite yeah the favorite is the one who like is like mom do my laundry mom let me move home like it's not (laughs) fair really this shouldn't be the favorite adam should be or julia they work their asses off and (laughs) that is funny hey do any of you think your parents have a favorite we don't have to go there (laughs) it's me (laughs) definitely yes i'm the adam of my sibling and i (laughs) yeah (laughs) me too i'm i'm the younger one and i'm a lot more responsible and yeah that's interesting i really do think i'm the favorite not (laughs) of course not in terms of love i think they love us all exactly the same Really? Yeah. No, I'm sorry. Go on. <laughs> I, well, the w- one thing that makes me think it is that I just live a lot farther away than either mm. of the other two. And so I think when I'm around or when I'm not around, there's that feeling of it's a big deal if I get time with Caleb. Yeah. Whereas like, well, the others are just here all the time. So take, take them for granted. Here so they I'm are. the star attraction. Interesting. Or when I'm not around, it's like, oh, I wish you were here. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Boom, I get it both ways. Yeah. Anyway. No, it's super interesting. I'm sorry. I was thinking of my version of that, which I, I hope isn't too snarky to say. And I also hope I've never brought up before. So maybe I'm going to say this snarky thing twice. But I remember like once my brother was just like, yeah, I'm not going to vote. I think all the candidates are dumb. I'm not going to vote. I don't even remember what election this was. And my mom like lost her mind. You know, she was like, what, you're not going to vote? It's our constitutional right. I can't believe you're not going to vote. And, you know, and he's like, yeah, I've decided not to. I I can't throw in with any of them. And I'm like, okay. And so then like, (laughs) I don't know, a month later, my mom calls me and she's like, Dave voted. And I'm like, yeah, me too. Where's my parade? Like, I just always do. You know? like, no one gets a special phone call when I vote because I've never, I'm like, I'm not gonna. Like, you know, so anyway, that might be terrible to say, but I think that's funny though. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway. Well, let's shift over to Max's storyline in this episode. This is the first episode to feature a Hayden Byerly as Micah. I don't know if there are any other fans of the Fosters oh. out there listening, but Hayden Byerly will go on to play Jude on the Fosters. I thought he looked familiar and I've only seen like one episode with you, but I think that's where I knew him. Yeah. I thought it was really interesting that Max called his Asperger's a disability early on in this episode because we've literally seen Adam and Christina tell him it's not a disability. <laughs> I believe it was qualities and difficulties. Some people have disabilities, Max. And Asperger's really is a form. It's not honey. a disability. It's a syndrome. It's a syndrome. 
And doesn't he also say in another episode, we worked really hard to make Max think he doesn't have a disability. Mm, I think he does say that. <laughs> I shouldn't say to think. I should say to know. To know. <laughs> you know, like, well, we try and trick him into thinking this isn't a disability <laughs> when really. At, no, l- at least they've stopped saying there's something wrong with him. You know, that's, <laughs> at least we've moved on from that. Yeah. So. Well, Adam and Christina confront Max about his strategy to get out of P.E., Look, Max, we're just trying to understand why you don't want to play. Basketball is your favorite sport. You love playing with Alex. I don't like it the way they play. There are too many kids on the team. Well, it's certainly different when everybody's out there on the court, but that can also make it really fun, too. That's how you learn teamwork, working together. Well, you know, Micah probably has more fun because he gets to play video games during basketball. Well, you get to play plenty of video games. Yeah, we're night, talking about basketball. Like, yeah, we're not talking, about, like shouting we're talking about basketball right now. You get to play plenty of video games, okay? Well, you know what? I can't play because I have a disability. Okay, do not use that as an excuse. Max, having Asperger's makes certain things challenging, but we know for a fact you've got a great layup, so... Well, yeah, I know I have a good layup, and I tell the other kids that, but they still don't pass me the ball. No. Okay, look, my PE teacher says that if you write her a note, she'll let me skip. It's problem solved. Well, Max, we don't want you to sit out. We want you to feel included. You can play basketball, Max. It's the easiest solution. can. It's not. Look, if I'm so good at basketball, then... Then why do I always get picked last? I don't know, pal. Just real quick, as a teacher, I had several concerns. Number one, I feel like that's the worst strategy in the world is picking teams. I don't know why anyone would do that. That is just designed to make people feel shitty. I don't, I just, why would you, anyway, I'm like, do people still do that? I I don't even think when I was in school, we ever picked teams. I think it was just one, two, one, two. Okay. One's over here. Two's over here. Problem solved. Um, (laughs) But then the other thing was, I was like, is this the best situation for Micah? I'm like, Micah is just in a class called PE and he's just over to the side playing video games. I'm like, if he can't participate in in PE, don't put him in PE. But then I was like, more importantly, find accommodations so he can participate in PE. So just as a teacher, I was like, what is this school? Is this what mainstreaming was? So, you know, I'm like, this isn't great. I don't know. Everything about it really upset me. So that those are my two cents. Right. Yeah. Those are great. Berkeley is better with accommodating for ADA requirements and they just might not be. So yeah, no, I think a certain level of sympathy comes out in Max that we haven't been able to see being with Micah and he might not even register it as I want to make a friend and put active effort into making him feel cared for, Mm -hmm. but more of, I see someone else who I view as in the same boat as me. So naturally the next step would be let's, let's hang out with him and see what happens. So I think Micah definitely sees it as a growing friendship, but just with the interactions of playing video games and <laughs> Max says, I'm sorry, I'm not supposed to correct people <laughs> when, and it's just like, he's, he's saying all of these things that he's used to hearing, but yeah. not really like I don't know. I think it is real sympathy, but I think it's a like a muted version of just 
I'm telling you what I have heard that I should tell you. (laughs) (laughs) It reminds me a little like, you know, if he were in a play and he was like reading the stage directions as well, Mm -hmm. like loudly, you know, and then reads his line, like crosses (laughs) the room. Yeah. Like those are the things you're just supposed to do. You're not supposed to say, but I found it so winning and charming. I, I, I loved that this was him being authentic. You know, this is how he makes a friend by. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I loved it too. I, you know, I because Max is rarely, if ever, an overtly emotional character, I often have a hard time connecting with him emotionally. And, you know, that is often the conflict of certain stories is his parents trying to connect with him emotionally. And yeah. But this storyline got me in in all kinds of ways when he felt like when he said, like, why do I get picked last? Yeah. I felt so bad for him. And then when he gets a friend and when he brings Micah over to the oh, house and that then me. I was, I was so touched and happy for him. You know, I, I even thought like Micah's parents coming over and their interaction was a little cloying, but I'm like, you know what? I've already gone whole hog in on this storyline. <laughs> so it didn't, it didn't bother me at all. I went with it and I was just, my heart was warmed. Mm-hmm. Well, and it reminded me, I mean, Micah's mom has a line that is very similar to a line Christina tells Gabby the first time that they talk about goals for Max. You know, Micah's mom is like, he's never had a friend before. And I remember Christina saying, Max doesn't really have any friends. And I think that's what got me. It was just that parallel, like, oh, Max has found someone that he can really relate to. And it's not for the reasons other people might think that they can relate to each other. I don't think, I mean, maybe that's the reason they don't have friends, but I don't know. I I just feel like they understand loneliness. They understand Mm -hmm. and probably value a connection. Like they made a connection and they're not going to take that for granted. Even as kids, I mean, they're kids, maybe more than anyone understand the importance of friendship. So yeah, I think this is the moment I have this little thing whenever I watch parenthood, Christina Craig, I was really almost every episode. I don't know if you guys noticed this. But we should have a tally or something. Where she started to tear up. <laughs> and I was like, there it is. But, you know, yeah, rightfully so. Your child makes a friend. And it's someone that you are very proud that he has made a friend with. Because he is also in need of that. And just being able to identify with other parents is something that I feel like Adam and Christina don't often get. But so unexpectedly, this other family comes into their home and are so excited to meet them. And it's really awesome. I love that it's unexpectedly because Max has not informed them this is happening right. until he's there, which was just great. It's perfect. Yeah, and, and I also loved that they couldn't have cared less. Yeah. Yes. They're just so you happy. You didn't tell us? Great. <laughs> you know, just, yeah. you're bringing your friend over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Adam calls Max pal twice in this episode. Oh. And as a parenthood pal, I just want to say I fully endorse this new term of endearment. <laughs> I didn't even notice that. That's so cute. <laughs> I also, while I'm talking about word choice with the English teacher, Christina has that scene where she says, you shouldn't call those kids losers. They're jackasses. <laughs> and I thought, I wish she'd called them assholes. Mm. I, I didn't love Can jackasses. You, maybe you can't say asshole. On well, I talk. learned in the commentary for episode 217 when Jasmine finds out that Crosby cheated on her and she says, you asshole. Oh, I forgot that she said that. That They were allowed to use the word asshole because of the hour that they aired. Uh, I think if they'd uh, been an hour earlier in the evening, they wouldn't have been allowed. Fascinating. So I wonder why they didn't. Jackass to me just feels old and rural, but 
Maybe Christina's from the Tennessee wilderness. We don't know anything about her. <laughs> oh, that's true. I bet it's because she's describing children. I bet they didn't want a character to call children assholes. That's my guess. Like, it's one thing to call. Well, kids are usually the biggest assholes. <laughs> But I feel like it's probably different for Jasmine to call her like cheating fiance. True. That versus, you know, <laughs> maybe jackasses just felt a little less harsh. Lil fuckers. <laughs> With, you know, L I L apostrophe. That just takes the heat right out of it. Then it's yeah. <laughs> precious, it's, really. It's sweet. Yeah. <laughs> then it's a rapper name because. You know, anyway. So, oh. anyway. Well, let's go to the last storyline, <laughs> which I feel like includes, I would consider the MVP of this episode. Is it Drew? Miles Heiser. Oh, it was yeah. so good. I thought he really shone in a way, shined, mm -hmm. that we haven't gotten to see before. I didn't clarify because I'm legit not sure. <laughs> yeah. So. I'm just going to segue right into the first clip I have. Are you pregnant? What? What is this? Oh my God. Uh, I'm not pregnant. I'm not. It's, um, that's an okay. ovulation kit, uh, test. It's, uh, For what? it's something that you use when you are trying to get pregnant. Um, why? I don't, why are you trying to get pregnant? That doesn't make sense. Well, I'm with somebody I, I love and we're serious. It's the next natural step. Look, I didn't yeah. want, I would have talked to you about it, but there are a lot of variables, you know. I don't know. I'm sorry. Wait, it's wait. just really weird. Hey, 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 wait. What do you think? I don't know. I don't understand why you want another baby. It just doesn't make sense to me. Well, I can't honey, see it's it. a big shock and it's yeah, brand new, I mean, but. Just you already have Amber and I. I don't understand why you're gonna. I mean, there's not much to say. I mean, I guess good luck or whatever. Obviously, this is not the way Sarah or Drew or anyone would want to find out that Sarah was trying to have another baby. But here's some questions for the panel. Okay, that's what us. do you make of Drew's reaction? And when should Sarah have brought it up to her kids? Yeah. Like, I don't think she necessarily needs their permission, but what type of conversation should she have about it with them? And how sensitive should she be? I think Drew is totally justified in his reaction. I think anyone finding out that your very adult mother is trying to have another baby when you have a already established family is probably a, a big shock to Amber and Drew. I think a lot of it comes from Drew's knowledge that his family is not typical and he doesn't have a stable relationship with his father and now he's going to be thrust into this new family with possibly another sibling I think it uproots him again emotionally and I think absolutely he's okay to ask all the questions like why I don't understand and that feeling of being replaced I think is an insecurity of his that is really perceptive that's really good yeah because I I did I felt that on some level, but I think I also was having thoughts like, well, in many ways, Drew is lucky that his mom is with such a caring person and that she's in a good place emotionally. And now that I'm saying that after just hearing what you said, yours makes way more sense. <laughs> like, like what, you know, 16 or 17 year old boy, however old he is, is going to like see it that way. That's silly. That's me 40 years old talking, you know, like, like 
that's me bringing my baggage of my mom marrying a really horrible person for seven years and, and thinking, well, he doesn't have that. He, he's, look at how nice Mark is, you know? That's me looking at it that way. But everything you just said is really powerful. And yeah, that's, of course, how he's going to react. And it's, you're right, totally justified. And not just the fear of being replaced, but the feeling of not being enough, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you didn't do it right quote unquote right with me and Amber. So now you got to do a do over. And then he's left feeling like insufficient. He actually, and he could have reacted way worse. That's true. And he did. The whole episode, you could say that he could have acted way worse. Like he's really trying to be on top of his emotions the whole episode. I mean, I I think it's kind of beautiful that he's so in touch with them, you know, even though he's, I don't know. Yeah, I agree. He was, fantastic in this episode yeah. yeah what do you think about um like let's say that he or amber was really bothered uh-huh. by her having another child yeah. i don't think sarah's kids should get to dictate whether she reproduces or not yeah so i don't think she needs their permission but should she consider not having one Oof. if one of them was like this really messes with me or something yeah or maybe it's a moot point because they don't react that way. <laughs> yeah, I think it totally depends on the depth of the relationship because I am thinking of Gilmore Girls now when <laughs> Lorelai and Luke are thinking about having a baby and Rory thinks it's weird and Lorelai, I think at some point, it's like, well, if you think it's weird, they were close enough at that point to where if Rory didn't want it to happen, Lorelai would have said, okay, then that's, that's it then. Um, wow. And I think with Drew and Amber, it's a little bit of a different situation. Um, I don't really understand why or how, but I, I don't think Sarah would change her plans for Drew and Amber. Yeah. Huh. When she starts dating Mark, she says to Amber, you and your brother come first. Mm. And I think she means it. And in that moment, I thought it was a really sweet thing of her to say, even though Amber wasn't bothered at all mm-hmm. by Sarah officially dating Mark. Mm-hmm. And then now in this context, if one of them were to bring it up, I would feel a little bit like, oh, you're dragging up that one thing she said that <laughs> one time mm-hmm. as proof that you get like veto power. Well, and I I thought Drew brought up pretty good points with both his mom and with Mark, you know, like, you know, she is older than you. And I think the thing he never says, but that maybe he means is like, why does she even want this like I think he is mostly centered on his own experiences and feelings like of I don't want to be replaced it would be very strange to have a sibling at my age etc but I think part of him is maybe and I'm just kind of thinking of this for the first time worried about his mom like are you doing something you don't even want to do because you have a younger boyfriend who you know like like Mm. I think he says some line about like I don't even understand why you want to do this And I wonder if some of his concern might be for her and not just for himself. But I don't know. Maybe I'm reaching. What do you guys think? Well, obviously, Drew wasn't in on that conversation that Mark and Sarah have later on in the relationship that is, I want you to experience parenthood. Mm -hmm. 
but she might not be the person to give that to him. And that makes me realize that this conflict feels a little bit akin to Camille's situation in this episode, stuck between honoring her husband's wishes and wanting to provide clarity to her child. Yeah. Sarah has had a lot of these discussions with Mark. To her credit, it is not a flippant decision at all. Right. Or maybe frivolous is the better word. But she's not entering into this lightly. But she hasn't included Drew on those discussions because to a large degree, it isn't his business. And yet, of course, his opinion and his comfort with the situation is supremely important to Sarah. So it is a weird balance to strike, I think, of... How much do I include you in this without deferring to you about this? And like you said earlier, Melissa, I do think Drew is pretty mature, at least about giving it a shot. You know, like when Mark gives him the ride home and asks him out on the burger date. (laughs) You know, I feel like a lot of especially teenage boys might just be like, no, I'm not going to do that. And Drew, after calling him out and says, I feel like my mom told you to do exactly this, which is 100% right. (laughs) He then says, yeah, sure. It's a classic scenario. That's that's big of him. Yeah. And gosh, okay. The first time I cried in this episode is when Drew and Mark are out. Oh my God. Yes. So uh, I know that your mom talked to you about us having a baby. Yeah. And, um, I know that's a, it's quite a big thing to. Yeah, it's, I don't know. I mean, we've talked about it already, you know, it's just, it's a, an uncomfortable situation. It's just, I know. It makes me feel a little weird. Okay. Sorry. No, you don't have to be sorry, but I, I want you to, I want you to tell me all those things what, that it makes you uncomfortable. I want you to be, direct with me. I'm, I'm going to be in your life. Yeah. We're going to have some kind of relationship. And it can be a bad relationship or no relationship, but I hope it's neither of those. So I want us to be able to be direct with each other and to yeah. tell, tell mean, each other what's going on. As otherwise, I just get one-word answers and I don't know what you're thinking. And then I second-guess everything. Not you to apologize. a weird situation. So tell me about it. I don't understand why you don't understand that. It's I do understand that it's weird, but I, I want you to tell me Exactly how you feel about it. You can tell me anything. This is your opportunity. Tell me you hate me. Tell me I'm, uh, you know. I hate you. That's not it. It's just, you know, I don't understand why everyone pretends like it's not a big deal when it is. You know, it's a huge, it's a huge deal. And it just makes me feel weird, you know, and I have to see you at school and you're significantly younger than her. And it's just all of it as a whole. I'm sorry. I mean, you know, it's like, it hurts, you know? It feels like she's just gonna go off and start some new family with you or something, you know? It hurts. Okay, Drew, I... she's not trying to start a new family, all right? That's what it feels like, so. That crying is such good acting. Like, it is so subtly done. Like, it really feels like a person working themselves up into a cry and not like an actor having like a big moment in a show, you know, it was really good. I thought the exact same thing I've heard in lots of acting classes that I've musical theater acting classes where I'm playing the piano. Teachers will say, you know, only actors want to cry. 
they actors want the big crying scene where they get to show, look, I'm really acting with a capital A. <laughs> but in real life, if you're crying, you're probably trying to stop mm. to get back to like right. emotional equilibrium. <laughs> and the crying on this show, which is great, can sometimes veer toward a little indulgent. But yeah, I thought with Drew, I really felt like he was crying and he didn't want to be crying. Mm-hmm. And he was trying with all his might to stop. And I don't know how he did that. It's really good. Really good. I think it was your classic female choke up that really worked out for this situation. <laughs> yeah. In the situation that he's in, you don't want to cry in front of your, your mom's boyfriend. That no. is not a situation that you want to put yourself in. But yeah, did really well. Also, this is kind of a tangent, but not really. I was doing some reading, and I think Drew's girlfriend, her mm. name's not coming to me. Oh, Amy. Amy. She's played by Skylar Day, who at the time was like a really big actor. And up until she was introduced, Drew did not have very many lines. So I think <laughs> being able to see him and his emotion now is really helpful and was a great addition to the storyline that we really did not know much about. Mm. And she's not in this episode, but is mentioned. And yeah. I just, I thought that was really interesting that his girlfriend was introduced and then all of a sudden Drew gets a bunch of lines. And, um, <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's true. His storylines before this season were not always great. They were like very minor. Masturbating the, in the shower. That's the one I was right. thinking of. Yeah, yeah. They were kind of embarrassing. And now, yeah, it's cool. He's like got some real chances to show what he's capable of. Well, and similarly, I thought, you know, Miles Heiser is playing the most reserved character on the show so he doesn't have a lot of emotionally showy things to do this i i think this is by far the most we've ever seen from him and he does such a great job and then because it's coming from this reserved character i felt like it hit 10 times harder than if you know like if amber came out and cried even though i swear she's born to do it but when she cries it is sort of like Let's take a step back. You yeah. Know, and it would be like, oh, Amber's crying again. <laughs> yeah. Guess it's a Tuesday. <laughs> you know, yeah. she just does it all the time. Yeah. Drew never, kind of the way that like. Or Christina, mm, like cries constantly. Yeah. Christina's oh, yeah. crying. Take a shot. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> so because it's rare, when it does happen, it hits really yeah. hard. Yeah. And I'm sure there's something to the fact that the characters we can think of who cry a lot are, you know, the women characters and the male characters don't. And it's just like, man, society doesn't let the men cry. It's like, you know, uh, that's a whole other thing. That scene at dinner too, I may have been the least I've ever liked Mark. Interesting. I know his heart was in the right place, but he was pushing, I thought, too hard. And I think, at least me from the outside, I could see like, Mark, take your foot off the gas. This is, you're trying to have a relationship and that's admirable. But I think you're trying to take a whole bunch of steps at once. And I think you kind of got to let Drew dictate the speed at which you're going to get closer. Because Mark is entering Drew's family, Mm -hmm. not the other way around. Yeah. And and I think Drew's feelings are valid. Drew is making an effort. He's there. It's working. Just sit back. And when he's ready to tell you, it also kind of made me think about what one of our previous guests, Elena Glass, said about internal conflicts and external conflicts. Part of me even wondered if maybe Drew felt on some level like he knew it was okay that Sarah was maybe going to have a baby with Mark. 
He just felt weird about it, and he just needed time to sort that out. It wasn't necessarily something he needed to externalize and make other people's problems to fix. I don't know if that's totally true. Maybe this does need to be talked about, but I, I wasn't sure. That is a good I think point. Yeah, yeah, it is. I think something is there to be said about Mark is assuming that Drew is okay with making it his problem as well. And yeah. in that moment, he, he externalized finding out just because it was there. And that was a situation that he had found himself in. But assuming that he is okay with getting dinner with Mark, that is a huge step that has not happened before. And to do that when he's so emotionally vulnerable is not necessarily something that I was happy to see in Mark's character. Yeah. Yeah. They probably should have just gone out for a burger and just talked about baseball, you know, <laughs> like just and books and like light stuff and just like relationship building. It was almost like, I think I get where Mark was coming from. I think he had it in his head. Okay. Sarah wants me to talk to him about this. Mm -hmm. This is my mission. Got it. And I think he just had that in his head and, and couldn't like read the room or let, you know, flip the switch. And, you know, honestly, I, I, he said something that really reminded me of something I have said to students. And it is like my least favorite thing that I've ever said to students. I don't say it very often. It's when I'm feeling insecure as, as Mark mm -hmm. was. And, I, I think I get it because Mark seems like a teacher who most students get along with and like, you know, he's like joking about calling himself like a teenager whisperer and stuff like that. And that's me. I usually get along with my students really well. And when I don't, I feel very weird about it. And my obsessive need to be liked is my least favorite thing about myself. I really hate that. Mm -hmm. It's not a good quality. It's not a good look. And it's not a good look on Mark either. And he says something like, you can, you can tell me anything. Be direct with me. Tell me you hate me. Now, I've never specifically said that to a student, but if I do say something to a student and they're like, oh, you know, like, please get back to work. I, I mean, I, I, in the past, I have even said, um, did I upset you? Like, are you mad at me? You know, and That's not a good thing to say. And I, I think I kind of cringed when he said that because I recognized yeah. it and I didn't yeah. like it. I thought, this is, you're making this about you. It's not about you. It's about Drew and his feelings and you just have to chill out on the needing to be liked thing right now. That's not mm -hmm. what this is. So I think you put your finger exactly on it because what he's trying to do is say, this is an environment where you can tell me anything, even if you think it's something I don't want to hear. Well, that is admirable. Yeah. And I think sincere, but yeah, I, I think he's maybe thinking, Oh, Drew's not telling me something because he thinks it'll upset me. And then actually, he's not telling me because it's upsetting him. <laughs> and if he doesn't want to talk about it yet, that's his right. And you got to kind of, it's like Julia, like respect the boundary. Yeah. And I think fabricating the right time versus letting the right time occur on its own naturally is. Yeah. Fabricating. Yeah. It, yeah. Seems, it seems very forced. Yes. I did respect Mark for not telling Sarah what too. Drew did, but... Then I also did kind of feel like Mark broke Drew and then was leaving right. him to Sarah to like tend to the aftermath. And then also subjecting Drew to confessing painful feelings he didn't want to confess at all twice. Yeah. But still, I think it was kind of a noble thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah. And 
assumed he needed to be like consoled by Sarah. He's like, I guess I'm not the teenager whisperer after all. It's like, stop making it about you and your feelings. Right. Even though he is allowed to have hurt feelings too, but perspective, you're going to be okay. You're an adult. Like you're not (laughs) going through what Drew's going through. Yeah. And I did, I interpreted that as some humility Mm, Okay, and like owning like, well, I really bungled this because (laughs) I had such a high opinion of myself Mm -hmm. and, you know, I'm not perfect. Well, let's talk about the other Drew crying moment. What happened? Nothing. I know he told you what happened. He didn't tell me. He said, you should tell me. (sighs) Mom, nothing. I mean... Did did you guys get I cried in front of him, all right? I cried, so it was very embarrassing. (laughs) I don't know. I don't want to talk about it. Can I just at least go outside or something. Why did you cry, Drew? I don't know. It's just a weird situation, and he kept pushing me, and he's trying to be close to me, and it's just not... I don't know. I don't know, Mom. Have you even told Dad about this? I mean... No, I just... I haven't told anybody you... But I, I, I will. I just... Why, why, why Dad? I that maybe... When dad got better, you guys would get together or something. I know it's stupid, but... It's not stupid. Can I just go outside? I'll let him go outside. Like, stop forcing him to talk about his feelings. You know, suddenly, I hadn't thought of this while watching the episode, but suddenly I'm thinking of... That moment in season two, I think it's episode 217, when Amber blows up at Seth in the kitchen. Mm. You were not there for me when I really needed you. And she storms out. And then Drew gets really mad and shoves all the stuff off the table. That was a dramatic moment from Drew that felt pretty manufactured. Like, really? Mm. He's going to swipe all the stuff off the table? Mom, why do you let him just yell at her? Whereas this felt so natural and i think i even i remembered this scene as being impressive but i think i thought it was very showy and in one sense it is he's showing more depth i think than we've ever seen but it doesn't feel indulgent at all it again it feels like he's trying not to cry (laughs) and just failing and that is a really sad thing to watch and i think it it made lauren graham's reaction feel like not even acting i was like she's crying because he's crying And she can't stop it because we all love Drew and seeing him upset breaks your heart and then you cry. I think it's the sympathy that both of those characters have for each other and Drew trying to understand that as much as he wants his dad to be with his mom, Sarah needs to do what is best for her and what she feels is best. And Sarah is trying to tell him that that's not stupid. That's not a stupid thing to want for her and her family. But yeah, they're both trying to come to terms with what the other one wants and realizing that though it's very idealistic one, like Sarah will probably end up with Mark and she can't, she can't wait for much longer for Seth. That's good. And this is so not the point, but I did have this weird thought when Drew said that. And I'm like, God, I don't think Drew has any idea that his beloved sister is basically the reason that Seth left town and stopped anything from happening. Like that might've happened. Like they were kind of considering getting back together and Amber stopped it for Mark because she thought Mark was so good 
with Sarah. And it's just fascinating how two siblings who are really close to each other and were raised the exact same way could interpret something so differently, you know, that, that Amber would never want her parents back together. And that's Drew's biggest wish. And, uh, yeah. Wow. That's cool. Well, maybe Amber could just peer into the future and see the haircut that her dad was going to have later on and was like, let's just save all the family photos. Let's just stop this from happening. Because I was like, what is John Corbett doing right now with this, like, you know, half ponytail situation? Anyway, so. And in a kitchen, put that thing in a net. Yes. Right. I saw the bare hand contact was ready to eat food. And I said, absolutely not. And then you realize who it is. You're like, oh no. (laughs) (laughs) I had forgotten he was in this episode, actually. I did too. I thought it was a sweet surprise. I thought kudos to John Corbett for, I assume, allowing his name not to appear until the end credits. Mm. I'm sure he's contractually entitled to have his name in the earlier credits as a guest star. Because you know what said? Guest starring Jason Ritter, Jonathan Tucker, Courtney Ford. John Corbett's name should have been there, but instead it was as soon as the credits at the end started rolling. And not like his appearance was a huge twist that could be spoiled, but it was nice not to know all along, oh, Seth's going to pop up at some point. I think it would have been distracting, me. actually. Yeah, be I would have just it. been right. waiting. Yeah, I appreciate that the series doesn't forget about his character just because the actor isn't a series regular. And I thought that Seth, even just in that brief exchange, seemed like a real grown-up about the situation and like recognized that his job was not to have an opinion about his ex-wife's relationship, but to be there for his son. Yeah, he played that really well. Like, again, John Corbett's so talented, but you could tell that he found the news startling and (laughs) hurtful, but he was able to, like, muster up a uh, passable, like, congratulations, you know, and he played it really well. Yeah, and then the way that the whole episode ended uh, with Sarah looking at Drew, oh, it kind of broke my heart. He just seemed so alone. Uh, Amber's not there. His dad's not there. He had the headphones in sitting outside by himself on the bench. Amy's not there. And it made me wonder if in a way Sarah worries more about him than Amber, even though Drew is so stable. Amber has all her struggles, but she lives her life sort of out loud. It's rarely a mystery (laughs) what's going on in Amber's inner life. When she tries to pack for a sexy weekend getaway, she's real mad at not broadcasting what's happening. Yeah, she will express what she's going through for better or worse. But with Drew, everything is so internal. If I were Sarah, I could easily see myself worrying myself in circles, just imagining what he might be feeling or going through. And that could drive a person crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Well... I really loved this episode. I thought it was wonderful. What did you think, Emily? Did you like this one? Did we give you a good one? Yes, absolutely. I enjoy this one a lot. I think it's a progressive episode that allows a lot of the other things to be developed until they actually come to an end with Bobby and Amber and Julia and Zoe. Just those relationships are growing and they're coming to a point you can kind of tell that they're starting to heat up. And I think it's a really important episode when You see Max make a friend, and that was really touching. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yay. It was wonderful to have you here. I thought you had just such good insights. (laughs) 
Thank you. This is really fun. Oh, good. You know, it really does kind of remind me of class. I know that might sound ridiculous, but it's like, instead of discussing chapters from a book, you're just discussing, you know, an episode of TV. And yeah. Yeah. Did I rush it, by the way, Caleb? Did you have more to say about why you love the episode? Not really. I mean, I had some generalities about tough love. Oh, let's hear the generalities. Oh, my gosh. Well, let's see. What did I say? (laughs) Tough love feels like a very apt title. (laughs) (laughs) And the episode was tough. I did feel like a lot of these conflicts were emotionally grueling. Mm. Well, I I guess that was just the tone of the episode to me felt like a lot of tough stuff that couldn't be avoided. Like there's never going to be a good time. As much as we said, like Mark rushed things, like there's never going to be a good time for Drew to have to confront Mm. his mom, maybe having a new kind of family or the family changing in that way. That's always going to be tough. Yeah. But it has to happen. The solution is not just, well, Sarah, just stay single forever. Right. And with Zoe and Julia, that had to be addressed, those issues. There was no way around it. Even Max, something I liked about his conflict, that they didn't linger on too much. But, you know, he's saying, why do I get picked last? We know the reason. Yeah. And it's not right. And it doesn't feel good. But the reason is, well, all the other kids think you're weird even if you are good at basketball they're not going to pick you that's tough yeah but I feel like all those conflicts they they did all have a lot of love within them and they mostly resolved oh well so I left Amber and Bob talk about tough love this needs to be stopped (laughs) and I'm sure Bob and Amber neither of them were happy that Christina came in there but it really is for the best I think yeah and I think Christina went in there because she loves Amber. Mm-hmm. So I feel like all the conflicts did resolve mostly in the most positive way you could hope for, with maybe the exception of Amber. <laughs> I, like I said before, I don't remember. Like, is this a, um, is her reaction like, oh, I dodged a bullet? Like, is it relief? Or is this going to trigger a, <laughs> let me live my own life? Kind of meltdown. Smoking my cigarettes and drinking in the car again. Yeah, I know there's no end of season car crash. (laughs) So I know it's at least not that huge if it is bad, but. Yeah. I mean, I'm actually super excited to watch the next one now because I I really don't remember. And it is, it's that whole, like, we are so close to the finale. It's like everything. It's so good. It's just such good TV right now. Yeah. I do remember the next episode feeling like. It's not the finale of the season, but I remember feeling like it should be because (laughs) here's really where the big stuff happens. And, you know, it's like 217 was sort of the premature finale of season two and now 317. What? That's crazy. The next season doesn't even have 17 episodes. Oh, that's right. (laughs) We're not going to have that. We're not going to have a three-peat, but... Well, thank you again. Truly. I, I really, <laughs> you were just fantastic and yeah, uh, yeah loved this. It was so fun. You were so great. I think you clearly had some great teachers. <laughs> I take every bit of credit, you know, I mean like Emily's parents, you know, Emily's upbringing. Pfft. No, I mean one year with me, that's where it all. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> all right. Well, um, everyone, thank you for listening and please Follow us and like us. 
Parenthood Pals on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. And pay a visit to ye old website, <laughs> www. I did all the W's again. You do that. Parenthoodpals.com. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. You know. Um, send us an email or write us um, a rating or a review. We really do love that. It makes our day. So We do indeed. Yeah. And it does indeed. It does. We'll just respectively. Like, yeah, we'll we'll gush about it for like an embarrassingly long time. <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. Thank you for listening, and until next time, may God bless and keep you always, and may your wishes all come true. <laughs>